Dear Lord, thank you for have given us today, and thank you for uh, bringing us all here safely, and thank you for giving us this opportunity just to gather together and study your word and worship you, Lord, and just be with Pastor Jesse and give him the words to speak tonight, and Jesus pray, amen. All right. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one. There's some blue ones on that back table. Somebody's Bible up here. Does anybody need this? Whose is this? Is that yours? You're going to want that. Hold on to that. All right. Somebody tell me what book we've been studying. Jesus. Yes. Well, if you're going to say Jesus, say the Bible. Okay, that's, that's the book we've been studying. But yes, we've been specifically in the book of Galatians. Um, and every week, can you believe we're almost halfway through this book already? It's only taken us five weeks to get here. But tonight we are moving on to chapter three. And uh, before we jump into it, I'm going to start asking you guys the questions. Because if you've not been here before, um, it's okay if you don't know these answers. But every, every time we walk through a book of the Bible, it's important to know some basic things about that book, to know who wrote it, why they wrote it, what's kind of going on that has prompted everything we're getting ready to walk through. So let's walk through these questions for the book of Galatians. Who wrote it? Paul. Paul. Did somebody say Jesus? Who said that? Jail? No, not jail. Remember, do you guys know why they said jail? Because most of the time when Paul was writing, a lot of the time, he was in jail, maybe 95% of the time, but remember, 92% of all statistics are made up on the spot. So just, you'll catch that one later. All right? Um, so Paul wrote this, and where, uh, excuse me, who did he write it to? The churches in Galatia. Was this one church? No, it was a group of churches in this in this southern region. So he's writing to these all of these different churches that are in this area. <coughs> excuse me. When do we believe it was written? For, yeah, a very long time ago, yes. More specifically, around 49 to 54 A.D. Who was it written to? We did this one already. Churches and Galatians. I'm just making sure you're paying attention. What's the main idea? Not jail. Salvation by faith alone. That's absolutely right. No, that is not the right answer. The main idea is salvation through faith alone. And, and if you don't understand what that means, it basically means the only way that anybody can be forgiven of their sin is through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Because Scripture tells us there's a penalty owed for our sin, and we're all sinners. We're born that way. We can't escape it. And yet that sin separates us from God. But God made us to be in relationship with him. So we couldn't satisfy that requirement, that penalty for sin. So God stepped into humanity and satisfied his own requirement. And Jesus gave his life on the cross. And three days later, he took his life back up. And when we talk about salvation through faith alone, it's understanding that we're sinners and that we cannot fix ourselves. That Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the only thing that pays the penalty for our sin. And when he took his life back up, he conquered sin, he conquered death. And the only way we can be forgiven, the only way we can be saved from the consequences of our own sin is through what Jesus Christ has done, having faith in him. Scripture says, believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth and then pursuing him with the rest of your life. That's salvation by faith alone. And that's what Paul keeps coming back to in this book because as he comes in here, there are some people who are slipping into the church and what were they doing? Remember, this is why it was written. False yeah, there's false teachers. 
They're coming into the church. Not funny anymore. They were coming into the church, and they were saying, hey, 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 if you want to be forgiven of your sin, you need to trust in Jesus, but there are also other things that you need to do. They were coming in and they were teaching false things. They were adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing to these churches and saying, hey guys, y'all need to wake up because you know what the gospel says and yet you're starting to believe these other things and by doing these other things, you're teaching other people that the, that the gospel that you learned is not the only thing you have to do. You're teaching them wrongly. You're taking up these false teachings and you're spreading these false teachings. So that's why Paul is writing this book. And what he's done so far in the first two chapters is he really quickly introduced himself. He really quickly said, hey, here's the problem that's going on. And then through the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul starts giving his own personal testimony. He starts talking about who he was before he knew Christ. And then he talks about when he met Christ and what Christ has done through his life since then where he's gone and he's talked to these other apostles that are preaching the gospel and he's gone to these other people that were not Jewish people. They were called Gentiles, which just so you know, if you were not born of Jewish heritage, you are considered a Gentile. It's people who are not born of Jewish culture and that, that, that heritage. And what Paul does is Paul takes the gospel not just to the Jewish people, but he takes it to the non-Jewish people. And that's a big deal. Because all through the entire Old Testament, you see the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a promise that God makes through different things called covenants. Y'all remember talking about those at Denail? And because people believed in the promise of God, Scripture tells us it was credited to them righteousness. It was credited to them to be, to be forgiven. But then in the New Testament, we see Jesus and people are now adding to what that says. So Paul says, hey, hold on, put the brakes on here. Let me tell you about my experience with Jesus. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. Let me tell you how I met him. Let me tell you how he changed me. And let me tell you how I've seen him work since then. So for these past almost two chapters, Paul's been given his own personal testimony. But now in chapter three, he changes direction a little bit. He goes from just talking about his own personal testimony now he goes from defending the gospel through his own experience to addressing directly what the Galatians are doing. What these people are doing with what they know to be true from Scripture. And what he does as he walks through this, there's two things you're going to see tonight. And those things are important for us. The first one is this. He draws their attention to their own testimony. He says, you need to remember what God did in your life. If you say you are a believer, if you say you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he's forgiven you of your sin, then you need to remember that every single day. Because if you don't, it's going to be really easy to get distracted. And that's what's happening here in these churches. So that's the first thing he reminds them of here at the beginning of chapter 3. And the second thing he does is he points them to the promises that God has kept. He says, remember what God has done for you through Jesus Christ because God made promises and God kept those promises. And those are important for us to remember because it's very easy for us on a daily basis. We're going to school or maybe you're going to sports or maybe you're going to work. You're doing all of these different things. And a lot of times in the busyness of daily life, we get distracted from the gospel working in our lives. And we begin to give our attention to other things. And all of a sudden, our mind starts to wander from God and our heart starts to wander from God. And before we know it, we're not pursuing Christ the way Scripture tells us to pursue Christ. He says, you've got to remember your own testimony. Remember what God did in your life. Remember that moment you put your faith and your trust in Him and you knew you were forgiven of your sin because if you forget about that, 
you're going to start to wander. The book of Hebrews calls it a drift. You're going to start just slowly moving away from God. He says, you need to remember. And you can remember that and you can trust that because if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, you can see where God made promises to people who would trust him and God kept those promises. And the same God that kept those promises is the same one that keeps promises over our lives today. That's what he's pointing out as he walks through the beginning of chapter 3 here. So I'm going to ask you guys to do what I ask you to do every single week. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading of a big chunk of Scripture from God's Word. And we're going to walk through Galatians 3, verses 1 through 14. And Mr. Brenton Hall is going to come up here and read for us tonight. By faith or by works of the law. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for... The righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Jesus Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for our many blessings, Lord, for the, the opportunity to gather here in fellowship with one another and worship you and learn more about you, Lord. Thank you for our leaders, Lord, and the wisdom that you've given them. Just help us to take from, the impart, take from what they impart on us tonight, Lord, and uh, apply it to our lives, Lord, to, to retain the, the words Pastor Jesse's about to speak, Lord, and, and just be with us as we go about our weeks and the rest of our nights, Lord. Keep us all happy, healthy, and safe, Lord. Thank you for all that you do for us. It's in your holy name I pray. I love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, sir. Y'all can have a seat. He's a pretty good reader, isn't he? <laughs> you did a good job. So in, those, in that passage there, you see Paul's, he, he kind of, he jumps back and forth. He's talking about the spirit, and he's talking about the law, and he's talking about all these different things. So let's just walk through this and kind of break what's going on here. In the first five verses, this is where Paul makes that plea to them. He's making that plea to remember what they have experienced, their own testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at it again in verse 1. He says, Oh foolish Galatians. I love that there's an exclamation point there. He, he's basically saying, what, what are you guys doing? Are, do, do you all even realize what's going on right now? It's kind of like when, you're, when your parents look at you and you've done something stupid and you know you've done something stupid and they look at you and you're like, please just don't say it. Don't tell me I was stupid. And they do, what were you thinking? And they kind of do that to you. That's, that's basically what Paul is doing here. And he goes on with that question. He says, who has bewitched you? 
Now, we talk about this idea of, of being bewitched. He uses that word. He's, he's treating them like, hey, is there a spell on you? Uh, anybody here seen the movie Hocus Pocus? Yeah. Hocus Pocus 2? That whole I put a spell on you song, I'm not going to dance and sing because nobody wants to see that. But that's, that's if you've watched that movie, no, Ms. Marlon, no, you don't. If you've watched at least that first movie, you remember there's this scene where the witches start singing, and before you know it, the entire town is dancing and doing everything. Did you just start doing the dance? I saw that. Somebody's head was bobbing there. Um, the whole town is moving and doing everything that they're telling them to do because they've been bewitched. And that's the kind of idea of what Paul is talking about here, saying, who's, who's bewitched you? You're doing these things. You're believing these things. You're acting on these things. And the only possible way that you could be doing that is if somebody has put you under their control because you're, you're basically acting crazy. And then he goes on here in the next uh, first part of this verse. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, let me ask you a question. These people in these churches in Galatia, were they at Jesus's crucifixion? No. Some of you are like, oh, I don't know the right answer here. But you're right. The answer is no. They weren't. They weren't even in that same location. They weren't in the same city. But what Paul has done is through his journeys when he's come to this church, Paul has preached the gospel. Paul has made it very clear, very plain to them to what Jesus did when he gave his life on the cross. So when he talks about, hey, don't you remember what it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, he's basically telling them, you guys know what I told you. When I came here, I showed you the gospel. I told you the gospel. You could picture it. You could see what was happening in your mind. He said, have you forgotten that? And then he goes on and he starts doing what Paul loves to do, apparently, in this book. He starts asking a whole bunch of rhetorical questions. You guys remember what a rhetorical question is? Uh, what? Okay, yeah, a question he asks, and then he immediately answers. He doesn't wait for an answer. He doesn't expect a response. He's just trying to get them thinking. And look at the questions he starts asking in verse 2. Let me ask you only this. I love how he says that, because that's not the only thing he's going to ask him. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's saying, how were you saved? When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, is it because you did enough things to earn that forgiveness and that salvation, or is it because you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? He said, what, what was it that actually helped you experience salvation? And he goes on there, and he says, did you receive the Spirit by works of law? What Spirit is he talking about? The Holy Spirit. Because Scripture tells us that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in that moment it says we are sealed by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God indwells us. No, you're not possessed. It's a totally different thing. But the Holy Spirit of God indwells you. It lives in you. And that is what continually draws you towards God as you pursue God, as you study His Word, as you grow in your understanding of who He is. It is what works in your life to conform you more and more into the image of Christ. Not that you will ever be Christ, but you begin to reflect godly qualities and characteristics in your life. And he's saying, when you experience that moment that the Holy Spirit came into your life, is it because you earned it or because God had grace and mercy on you? Because that's a very important question because sometimes we get that confused. Sometimes we think, you know what, I just need to do enough things for God and I'll be okay. 
I need to clean my life up before I can go to church. I need to stop doing this and stop talking this way and stop thinking this way and then God will be okay with me. And yet, Scripture tells us it's exactly the opposite of that. Scripture tells us, hey, bring all your junk to the foot of the cross and let God sort that stuff out because we're never going to be able to do it on our own. It doesn't matter how good and clean and pretty and and nice we make our life look. Guess what? We're just going to mess it up again as soon as we turn around. But Christ does something different in us. When we're forgiven of our sin, when the Holy Spirit indwells us, Scripture tells us he begins to change us from the inside out. And that's not something we can do. He changes our heart. He changes our desires. He changes the things that we're pursuing because he begins to give us a heart that pursues him and a heart that loves him and a heart that wants to do the things that God has planned for us. And he's asking them that question, but it's the same question we have to ask ourselves right here, right now. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, did you experience salvation because of what you did or because God worked in your life? Because we've got to go back to that time. We've got to go back to that moment. And we've got to remember which one of those it is. Because if we are continuously trying to earn our way, work our way to God, guess what? We're going to fail every single day. But if we're resting in the fact that Jesus Christ has forgiven us through what he did, through what he went through on the cross, through what he did when he took his life back up, there's nothing we can do to earn that, and yet it's given to us freely. Paul says, you need to remember that. And then he goes on in the next verse, he says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? So right there with his next question, he's answering his first question. He said, hey, did you receive salvation by works or did you receive salvation by faith? And the very next question, are you crazy? Are you foolish? Are you really believing that what God began through faith, he's now perfecting by your own works? I love how he answers one question with another question. He says, did God work in you and then leave it up to you to keep it going? How many of you think it works that way? Yeah, good. I'm so glad no hand in this room went up because it's not how it works. That's what he's talking about here. There's no way that would be the case. You and I know, given the choice, every single day, we're going to tend to move towards selfishness, aren't we? I don't feel like doing that today. I don't really want to be that person that God's called me to be today. It just, I, I, got, I, I want to do my own thing. We drift in that direction. I, I've heard it stated this, you don't drift towards holiness, you drift away from it. That's, that's biblical. That's what scripture says. You don't drift towards holiness. You have to work towards holiness. And by work, I mean you have to pursue Christ. You're not earning his love. You're not earning his grace. He's already given that to you. But now there is action we have to take on our part to pursue him by spending time in his word, by being around other believers, by actively pursuing Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, you start to drift the other direction. And you start to pursue other things and give glory to other things and yourself instead of giving glory to where it belongs, and that's God. If your salvation, if your security in Jesus, if your eternity is in your hands to continue to hold on to, guess what? You're going to lose it. If it's up to you and I to hold on to our salvation, we will not be able to hold on to it because we are sinners and we will mess it up every single day. That's why we rest in the fact of knowing what God has done. 
God holds us in his hands. We don't hold on to God in our hands. And then he goes on and he continues to ask his questions. Verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Now, the original language here, there's actually debate on that word um, suffer there. Some people think it means suffer. Some people think it means experience. Did you experience everything that you've experienced in vain? I don't know what the right answer is there. Whatever it is, whatever it means, basically what Paul is asking is everything that has gone on in your life, was it a waste of time? Everything you've seen, everything you've heard, were you just wasting your time or was there some truth to it? And then he goes on in verses five and six. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What Paul is showing us here is that the spirit that is working in the lives of those believers, that same spirit works in the lives of believers today. In your life and in mine, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He says, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it through faith or does he do it because of what you've done to earn God's love? Well, obviously the answer is because of faith, because of what God's done. And then he gives us a real life example in verse six, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness. What Paul is doing right here is he's, he's shifting right here. He's talked about, hey, you need to remember what God has done in your life. You need to remember when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you need to remember scripture talks about the joy of our salvation. How when you knew that Jesus Christ had forgiven you, that feeling that you had, that, that lifting of the burden of your own sin, of your own guilt, how God takes that off of us. That's why he talks about it as a joy, because that's an exciting thing. Paul's saying, you need to remember that. You need to focus on that, because if you don't focus on that and remember that, you're going to get distracted, and you're going to start thinking you have to do it all on your own when really Jesus Christ did all of it. And then he makes that shift and he starts talking about Abraham because he's gone from saying, hey, remember your own testimony. Remember what God's done in your life. You need to remember you can trust that because God has made promises in the past and God has kept those promises. And that's exactly what he's doing here with Abraham, what he's talking about. He's pointing out the gospel in the Old Testament. Did you guys know that the gospel is throughout the Old Testament? You don't necessarily see the name Jesus Christ throughout the Old Testament, but if you go back through and read the Old Testament, you see pictures of the gospel all over the place. And Abraham is one of those pictures. What he does here is he he brings up this idea. He's talking about this covenant. Do y'all remember what a covenant is? Yeah, it's promise. We talked about it at D now. I'm so glad y'all paid attention to something. But that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about this covenant that God made with Abraham in the Old Testament. Let me read you a couple verses. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Still talking about the same guy, Abraham. In a vision, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So basically what's going on here is God's made a promise to Abraham and God has said, Abraham, hey, you're going to have this huge family one day. And Abraham says, God, I don't even have a son. I don't have a daughter. 
How's that going to work out? So God is talking to him in this vision here. And in verse 3, And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. God made a promise to Abraham, and Abraham believed God. And his belief was not based on his own actions. He didn't believe God because he had done all of the right things for God. He believed and heard the promise of God and had faith that God would keep his promise because of who God is. And that faith is what Scripture tells us was counted as righteousness before God. It wasn't the law. It wasn't because Abraham did all of the right things. It wasn't because Abraham went to the synagogue and Abraham did the sacrifices and Abraham did all of these other things. That's not why it was counted to him as righteousness. It was counted to him as righteousness because he had faith in God. And Paul is pointing out to the Galatians here that the promises of God, he's already made them and he's already kept them. And if God has done that in the past, God does not change. It's the same God then It's the same God now. If God makes promises and keeps them then, he's going to make them and he's going to keep them now. Then he goes on in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham believed that promise. Abraham is an Old Testament example of the gospel. God chose him, God called him, and Abraham believed in what God called him to do. He believed the promise of God, and he acted on that promise in faith, and he began to see God's promise play out. Because if you follow through Scripture, Abraham did have a son, and that family continues to grow. In fact, it goes all the way down in lineage to Jesus Christ. And he talks about right there, in you shall the nations be blessed. It's not just Abraham's family, but it's because of Jesus Christ that the gospel of God went from just the Jewish people now to all the Gentile people, which is basically the rest of the known world. Because Abraham had faith. And because Abraham had faith, he saw God's promise carried out. He's saying, remember the promises of God because God always keeps his promises. And that's why the Galatians are even receiving this letter from Paul right now. Look at verse 9. He says, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say those who are of the Jewish faith are blessed along with Abraham. He says those who are of faith... Because if it were just the Jews that were a part of that promise, if it wasn't everybody else, then, then following after false teachings, these problems that they're having in Galatia, and right now, today, those of us who aren't of Jewish descent, if following, if following those false teachings was fine, then we wouldn't have a problem. There would be no reason for Paul to write this letter. But he's writing this letter because the promise that was made to Abraham was not just for the Jewish people, it was for everyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
Think about that for a second. It's not just for the people that we see in the Old Testament where God says, I'm your God, you're my people. It's for everyone that would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we have no idea who that is. You and I, if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, if you say you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you've been given the opportunity to live that out every single day and to make that available to every person in your life. And that's what Paul is trying to help them see here, that God continues to keep those promises that it's going out to everyone. If you and I had to uphold the Mosaic law, the Jewish tradition that he's talking about here, he would have no reason to write this letter because it would be dependent upon us, but it's not. It's dependent upon Jesus Christ. And he tells us that in verse 10. He says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. He's saying, hey, if you're trying to experience salvation, if you're trying to get to heaven just to be, just by doing all of the right things, by doing what the law says, what you're required to do, that's great. But if you're going to do that, you better make sure you do every single part of it. Because if you fail at one part, you're guilty of all of it. That's what scripture says in uh, James chapter 2.10. It says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. It's kind of like this. Have you guys ever had um, a sports team where maybe you're running laps or you're doing the exercises or stretches or whatever it is the coach tells you to do and everybody's doing it except for that one person? And because that one person's not doing what they're supposed to do, all of a sudden the entire team has to run extra laps and the entire team has to do extra stadiums and do extra exercises. Have y'all had that happen before? And how do you feel about that one person? Yeah, you're like, I just, I just want to smack them. Just throat punch right there, be done. But because of that one person, everybody else suffers, right? Hey, it's kind of that same idea. He says, hey, it doesn't matter if you do a good job and you keep all of the laws. If there's just one, you suffer for all of it. That's what he's saying here. That's why he's saying it can't be based on the law. It can't be based on what you do. The Mosaic law, that's the, the whole Ten Commandments and then all the things that the other Jewish religious leaders added to it. We can't even keep the Ten Commandments, much less the other 600 that they had by the time Jesus came on the scene. He says, you can't keep those. That's why you need to remember it is by faith alone. That is how you experience salvation. It's not by keeping the law. It's not by doing all the right things. If somebody claims that their salvation is through the law and not by faith, it says right there, they're cursed. They're cursed because nobody can keep the law perfectly. Nobody can keep those 10 commandments, much less all of the other ones. If you mess up at one point, you're guilty of all of it. Scripture tells us that. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. So if we're all guilty of sin, then we all deserve eternal separation from God. But thank goodness that verse doesn't stop there. It says, but the free gift of life, free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. See, that's the turning point. That's where it goes from trying to be good enough for God to resting in the fact that God already did it. And we simply have to put our faith and our trust in him and then pursue him for the rest of our lives. That's what Paul's talking about in these last four verses. Look at verse 11. 
Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Paul has stayed in the Old Testament. Every one of those things that you see in quotation, he's gone back to the books of of Habakkuk and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. All of these point to this big theological term called the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. Substitutionary. When you have a substitute at school, your original teacher's not there, right? Somebody else is filling in their spot. That's what substitutionary means. Atonement means the debt that is owed is paid. So substitutionary atonement means somebody took your debt, my debt, stepped into your place and my place, and paid the price that was owed. That is what Jesus Christ has done. And it's nothing we can earn. There's nothing we can do. There's no way we can be good enough, smart enough, cute enough, talented enough, any of those enoughs. We can't do it. Paul is saying, churches in Galatia, stop believing the lie. Stop believing that you can do things to earn your way to God. You have to rest in the moment that you know you put your faith and trust in him. You have to know what Jesus Christ has done in your life. And you have to remember that he will continue to hold you for all of eternity because he made promises way back in the Old Testament and he continues to keep those promises today. And those promises he made then, we're seeing them play out because we are a part of that covenant right now. Because if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're part of the nations that are blessed by the faith that Abraham had. That's what he's calling us to, know, to do tonight, guys. Remember the moment of your salvation. Remember the joy of your salvation. Don't let yourself get distracted by all of the other things going on in your life. Don't let it get crowded out by school and work and family and sports and TV and your phone and social media and all of these things that are so distracting. Stay focused on what God did in your life and know that you can trust him because God always keeps his promises. That's what Paul's talking to them about, and that's what he's trying to help us understand. We have a God that knows us. We have a God that loves us. We have a God that has pursued us, and we simply have to turn to him, turn away from our sin, and put our faith and trust in him tonight. If you're here tonight, and you can't go back to that first part, you can't remember your salvation. You can't remember when you asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin because you've never done that. You can do that tonight. There's no magic words. There are example prayers, things that we can use. God, I'm a sinner. I can't forgive myself. God, I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I want to put my faith and trust in him and pursue him with the rest of my life. That's, that's not in scripture. I just said those words. Scripture tells us if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth, you will be saved of your, from your sin. If you've never done that, if you can't remember when you've done that, you can do that tonight. And if you want to do that tonight, we would love to pray with you. We would love to celebrate with you. In just a moment when we stand, when we sing, 
Come talk to me. Come talk to Mr. Corey, Mr. John, Miss Marlin, anyone, Miss Kathleen, anyone, Miss Jesse, any of the other adults in this room. I don't want to leave anybody out. And let us celebrate with you. If you're here tonight and you know that you've done that, but maybe something's distracting you. Maybe you just need to take a minute and talk to God. Maybe you need to ask God to give you the will, the motivation, the desire to pursue him above everything else. And if you want somebody to pray for you, take those orange cards, write it down on that card, drop it right here in the basket, and the adults in this room will pray for you and pray with you. But don't forget, your salvation is not dependent upon you. You get to rest in what God has done and the love that he has already shown you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you that that we have the example in the Old Testament that you keep your promises. God, that we see all over the Old Testament that Jesus was always the plan and that you sent him to pay the penalty for our sin. God, I pray that you help us to remember each one of us in here tonight that claims to be a follower of you. Remember the joy of our salvation. And remember, God, that you can be trusted to keep your promises. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.